0: Hey, Chris. Good to be back with you again. Hopefully we'll be able to salvage this recording.
1: Yes. Let's, let's hold out hope for that.
0: Um, so I know one of the things since we started doing these, that we've tried to state and make clear in a few different ways is that these conversations about the weekly, um, Texts from the Revised Common Lectionary are for your desire to make them for everyone, anyone, and everyone, not just not just people who are preaching. Yep. That being said, I am actually preaching this weekend, and so I would <laughs> love some help. <laughs> um, well, these texts and, preach themselves, you know. <laughs> I hate when you say <laughs> you all this. <always. laughs> oh man yeah well maybe for you um these uh there's i guess two or at least two maybe three different kind of threads i'm wondering if you can kind of bring together for me so first there's this this question about the nation right or the the people and the blessing of god strong sense of that in the psalm this week um of course, Hebrews eleven. This thread about faith. This is a passage I heard a lot yeah. growing yeah. up. Um, and then finally, this—I mean, one of my favorite themes in all of Scripture. But do not be afraid about not being afraid.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Why well, don't let, let me start there with the "do not be afraid" and then work backwards, and depending on how the conversation is going. Whether or not we can salvage the conversation, never mind the recording. We'll. <laughs> all right. I have some thoughts about Christian nationalism, which is once again a topic that's all the rage. But let let me let's hold that and kind of see where we are. Let, let's start with this. Do not be afraid. So in in Genesis, you get that word f- from the Lord to Abram in a vision: "Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great." And in the gospel, which is Luke twelve, Jesus says to his disciples, "Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." So I think, yeah, as you said, this is you know a recurring theme in Scripture. The Lord appears and speaks the word of peace. Right? Do not do not be afraid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's always held in tension with the call to fear the Lord. Right. Of course, you. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. In the Psalm for this week, there's the assurance that what makes us the people, what what sets us apart as the people of God, is that we live in the fear of the Lord. So I think there is a there is a way in which we have to we have to kind of bear all of that in mind. What does it mean to be people who fear the Lord, who always appears by telling us not to be afraid, and. <laughs> But, but also another dimension of that is that in these texts, he not only says, do not be afraid, but then makes a promise. And this is also almost, I think always, and if not always, almost always true that when the, when the word of do not be afraid is spoken, the next word that's spoken is a word of promise. Right. So do not be afraid because this is about to happen. Right. So in, in, you know, Mary, do not be afraid. Like you are blessed and highly favored, because mm-hmm. the, you are going to be a child, and so on down the line. Right? Th- these these appearances of the Lord, assurances that there is no need to be afraid, are always always issue in promises. And in, in these passages, the promise of the blessing to Abraham that you're. Your inheritance will be like the stars in the heavens Mm -hmm. and the kingdom will be given to this little flock, to these, to these disciples who are, of course, Abraham's heirs. So this, this really is the promise about everything, Like, don't be afraid because God is going to give you everything and fulfill everything that was, that was promised to Abraham. You've stunned me into
0: silence. Yeah, no, I <laughs> yeah, I think one of the things that I'm struck by too, and I don't know I mean when I hear the you know the line don't be afraid is um and I guess because it it, it may be because when I heard when I heard this brought out especially when I was younger, I think as I got older, there's something about the way it was preached that struck me as trite. And maybe one of the reasons it struck me as trite is maybe one, because there wasn't a, maybe on one hand they didn't come back to that, that promise that immediately follows up. But also I guess every time that kind of word don't be afraid is spoken, like there's usually pretty good reason to be afraid. (laughs) Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. No, I, th- I think that's right. And th- we, we need to distinguish between the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of the wisdom and the kind of fear that comes up in us when God is present. But we don't want to separate them. We need to distinguish them. They're not identical. But there is a way in which the, the appearance of the Lord is frightening and and of course that's obviously true when you're talking about theophanies mm-hmm. revelations but i think even in in terms of any any way in which we brush up against the beautiful or the true or the good wherever the lord's work starts to break through into our lives it is in fact arresting and overwhelming and that that sense of fear is, is a sign that something has arrived, right? Something has something out that we're not in control of has, has shown up. And I I think that is one of the ways in which we avoid the triteness is, is the kind of recognition, as you said, that there, there is, there is a reason to be afraid.
0: What do you think? I mean, I, I think I'm seeing then some some connections here, but then if we jump to the Hebrews passage and this faith, yeah, right. I mean, part of what I'm seeing here is I mean, they're faithful, right? Abraham is yeah. faithful, but but there's a lot of good reason there to be afraid.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I think this this the sense of the awesomeness of God, the other, the, the otherness of God, you know, that, that God is, is not simply an extension of my, of my ego or my needs. Mm-hmm. God is, if we can put it like this, his own person and is, is not there simply to respond to my whims. Right. So of course he, He is caring for me, but he is caring for me. It's not that, again, that He's his care for me is determined by what it is I think I need. And Mm -hmm. I think that some of what we're naming when we talk about the fear of the Lord we're supposed to have is this kind of recognition of the Lord's otherness, like this kind of honoring of the fact that God is God and that there are things that are beyond me, and that, that I have to hold that awareness in in all of my engagements with God and with with my neighbor and everything I do in the world. is This kind of recognition that God is God, God is sovereign. I mean, these are the these are the the ways in which scripture identifies God's otherness from us. Now that otherness is an otherness that is rooted in identification with us. And this is, this is the mystery of the gospel, right? That the God who is other than us has become one of us in such a way that we are his body. So again, the way that we, we talk about this rightly requires a lot of care, a lot of ands and alsos where we're we're making a statement like God is God and I am not immediately following it by but God has become one with me so that the life I live is not my life but it's God's life happening in me right so we, right. we have to we have to continue to to speak in ways that are paradoxical that that are layered that are mysterious not nonsensical but require a lot of a lot of care like how we speak about these things matters and it it can be learned but it it isn't all it isn't simple or at least it isn't simplistic and so there there are reasons to be afraid in that sense not afraid of god in the sense that god is in, in any way tyrannical or duplicitous it's not that we don't fear God in the way that we fear someone we cannot trust or someone who's untrustworthy, Mm -hmm. but, but God is to be feared in that there is more happening in God than we can ever possibly understand. And that recognition of God's otherness rightly does bring a sobriety and a, I mean, there's a fear to it for sure. But I think to the Hebrews passage about faith. Again, we we read this tritely, or at least we, we tend to read it tritely, right? That faith is this kind of power we have to shape the future we want, right? The handles we can get on things if if we have the right kind of faith or faith in the right intensity but of course that's not at all what's being said Mm -hmm. actually in the text
0: well and i mean uh, yeah if you could talk about this too for for just a moment chris i think one of the things that i'm struck by whenever we come to this passage is how, how little we, and I mean that in all kinds of ways, but how little we thought of faith
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how it was a kind of, um, it was something that could be seen and realized just kind of on the other side of maybe praying through.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, could you I just, think, could you just yeah. talk a little bit about f- like faith in that sense, and h- how does Scripture actually actually talk about faith?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll say one thing about how I think the folks in my tribe talk about faith, what they mean when they talk about faith, and then we can look at the text, and I think you'll see the difference pretty pretty quickly. But I think when we talk about faith, what we mostly mean is the sense of conviction we have in our beliefs so when we mm-hmm. talk about faith at least much of the time what we're referring to is how intensely i'm convinced that this belief is right right like i believe it i really believe it mm-hmm. and faith then is is kind of a an intensification of that conviction mm-hmm. a really intense conviction that a belief is right, that's what we think faith is. But in Hebrews, if you you know follow the text, the first thing is he is saying that it's an assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and by it, the, the fathers, the ancestors received approval. But that's tied to this awareness of what it is that God does being God, right? That the worlds were prepared by the word of God. All of this came to be because of God's will. Right? And so there's a there's a kind of irony here in that faith is not the way in which we get God's Word to be creative. Right Faith is not how I move God to create mm-hmm. with his word. much less is faith my creative word. Mm-hmm. Faith is the recognition that God's creative word is spoken because God is God. I mean, right. no one asked for the worlds to be created. Mm-hmm. That's God's initiative. Right? This, is, yeah. this is a gift from God we did not know to ask for because there wasn't any being to know or to ask. Right? I mean, it, the asking and the knowing are, all, are aspects of the being that God gives. Right? So faith is, is in no way a, a moving or changing of God. It's a coming to be aware of what it is for God to act and, yeah. and who God is in that acting. And then we move immediately to in, in the reading, not in Hebrews 11, but in the reading for, for Sunday, we move from verse three to verse eight to the story of Abraham. It In, in right. Hebrews, it actually starts with the story of Abel. Yes. Which I think is, is really important. Not with Adam and Eve, but with Abel. Right. But, if we skip that and come to Abraham, notice what it is that Abraham, what is being said about Abraham. First is that by faith, Abraham obeyed. So like, you know, in, in a lot of circles, we've contrasted faith and obedience in ways that set them at odds with each other. You know, that we're saved by faith, not by works. And what we mean by works is obedience. But that that kind of distinction is nonsensical to the writers of scripture. And it's by faith that Abraham obeys and he obeys by setting out for this place that he is going to receive his inheritance but he doesn't know where it is. He, he sets out not knowing where he is going. Yeah. So faith is this kind of obedience into a future that he cannot determine for himself. And not only can he not determine it for himself, he doesn't even know what it is. He just trusts that it, It is in the hands of God. It is in, it's kept in the wisdom of God for him. And he, you know, wonders in the promised land as in a foreign land. And part of, if, if, and when we get to the conversation about Christian nationalism, we need to come back to this, but that Abraham is living in the promised land, but he's living in, as if it's a foreign land, he's living in tents like Isaac and Jacob do, who are heirs of that same promise looking for a city he himself does not build so if we go back for just a moment to this passage that the lectionary skips the story of enoch i mean not yes enoch is there too but i mean specifically the story of cain mm-hmm. so it starts with abel and that abel's sacrifice is offered it's, it's a better sacrifice than the one that cain offers and what we're getting right like, right away is this introduction that kind of history begins, not with Adam and Eve, but with Cain and Abel, and with sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Cain sacrifices off but of its first, but it's an, un, it's an unfaithful sacrifice. Abel's sacrifice is better, but it ends with him dead. It ends with his blood mingled with the blood of his sacrifices, crying out to God from the ground. And Cain, of course, is the first to build the city. So, what you're getting with Abraham is this kind of contrast, both with Abel and Cain. So, Abraham is not here offering a sacrifice. It doesn't say, you know, by faith, Abraham sacrificed. Yeah. But that by faith, Abraham obeys and sets out for this inheritance that is beyond his imagination. Right. And he's looking. For a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God, a city he cannot build so in in the theology of Hebrews there's this connection between people who offer sacrifices people who build cities and violence against their brothers, violence against those who are like them but not in agreement with them and Abraham is, is a man who builds altars but he doesn't build cities because he's looking Mm -hmm. for what it is that God is going to build. Mm. And so faith here again is anything but a grasp over what is happening. It's anything but a a power to determine outcomes. It's a, a remaining open to outcomes that cannot be determined. By anyone other than God. So it it is. I mean, I don't I don't think this, you know, this is not the only passage in, in scripture on faith. It's not all that needs to be said about faith. But it is ironic and perhaps even tragic that we read this passage to think we're being told faith will give us will assure for us the things we hope for, when in fact the point is, no. This this faith is the way in which you live in the confidence that the Creator God is the only one who can bring about the things you hope for. Like only the God who does the who you know brings all things into being from nothing. The God who raises the dead. Only God can build this city, the one that you're actually hoping for. Mm-hmm.
0: And it's not. And I think also we also talked about faith as something that if you're talking about it as a conviction, that if you had that conviction strongly enough, that faith would be realized, would be made sight, or, you know, it's a conviction that I have that's strong, and so it can be proven, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But of course, uh, for all of us, right, not just Abraham, but it's not that, that faith isn't something that's proven in the ways that we think about it. it in that kind of immediacy, right? That hope isn't something that's, that's seen.
1: That's what, yeah, yeah, that's precisely. Yeah. If we, if we cross reference that with Romans eight, like hope that is seen is not hope. Yeah. And, and what, one way of thinking about this is in so many of our circles, we've tried to have faith without hope, hmm. Like we've tried to have a way of, believing God that convinces God, yes, we are worthy of the blessing, but we want it now, not later. Right? Like we we want to, yeah. through faith, we want to lay claim to those things that are hoped for, but we don't want to wait for their fulfillment. We want them now. We want mm-hmm. what we hoped for to be realized here and now in this moment. Right. And all of the texts this week are Reminding us, as I think every text in scripture does, that that is not going to happen. That That is not the ways in which God's kingdom comes. It doesn't come by satisfying those desires the way that we desire them to be satisfied. And faith, again, is, is remaining open to this God who is the only one, the creator God, the only one who can bring about what we hope for, right? So the, he builds the city, and specifically in the story of Abraham, it's Sarah is barren. Abraham is past age. So to be open to this God who's the creator is to say God is going to do in our bodies what our bodies in themselves cannot do. And faith is is that openness, that readiness, transparency to to what it is that God can do, but a rec- but it's it's inseparable from humility and modesty because it is a recognition that runs all the way down to the marrow of our bones that what we are hoping for is not something we ourselves can bring about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know that the it's from one person as good as dead that the many descendants are born that the ways in which God's promise to Abraham is fulfilled is only fulfillable when Abraham is as good as dead yeah Right, and that yeah i think we've by and large we've lost touch with that
0: what do you think then i mean hearing that part of what it, it brings to mind is i'm thinking about things we are praying for or circumstances or you know people who we have faith for and maybe that's Maybe that's just me falling back into that. I have a deep kind of conviction, but if, but if nothing else, I mean, I'm thinking even about people in in the church where I pastor, right? And I'm thinking about things I know they carry, people I know they carry in their hearts who they might say might describe that as like I have or want to, or you know, I I have faith for them. What do you? What does it mean then? Set kind of in that context, this this trust that you that you're talking about cuz we often put we often put very strict kind of parameters
1: on that right like
0: i'm praying to yeah, so have yeah. faith for a certain outcome in their
1: life you know yeah so i th- i think you know to kind of cut to the chase here i mean i think god is always doing good for us and it's never wrong for us to want good for anyone else in fact we're supposed to so if someone is sick we should want them to be well if if someone is you know been betrayed or lied about we should want justice for them we we should so th- this desire for and readiness to work toward justice yes absolutely it's at the heart of what it means to be a human being i mean mm-hmm. i think that's that's our calling so this is not a deferral to eternity of the hope of justice. That's that's not what's being said here. It's not a well. Eventually, God will sort it out, right? right? We'll understand it better by and by. Like that. That's not what's being argued for here. Like faith is not. God will work it all out in the end. Faith is the assumption that God is working now. God is bringing all of that to bear now, but in ways that I'm not able to catch up to fully, you know, So a couple of lines from the text. One is Abraham sets out for a place, not knowing where he's going. He's actually wandering in the land that is his promised land, but he's wandering in it as if it were foreign. Yeah. So he's living in tents in the very land that will be his his descendants' inheritance. right? But he doesn't recognize it yet. He doesn't know it for what it is. So this is not a kind of it's it's there, it's already present, but he, he's experiencing it in you know through a glass darkly, to borrow language from Paul again. Right. And in the Luke passage, the gospel passage for this week, Jesus says, you know, it's do not be afraid, little flock, it's your father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then the very next words out of his mouth are sell everything you have, give alms, and, you know, attend to those things that are eternal, that your, mm-hmm. your treasure in heaven, right, where no thief comes and no moth destroys. So, again, you get this sense of don't be afraid. God is going to give you everything. Everything is yours. All good things are yours. But precisely because of that, you've got to disentangle yourself from the way this world works and from thinking that you're going to bring about these good things if you work the world rightly. I mean, we, you weren't able to talk with me last week about this, but this is, I think, the stress of the Ecclesiastes passage, right? Mm-hmm. that the the things we do under the sun and the things we do in the sun are distinct. They're they're inseparable, but they're distinct. And what Jesus is saying to them is, listen, God is going to give you everything. Everything is yours. Precisely because of that, you can stop striving to bring about the outcomes that you want for yourself and for other people. And then he says, you know, be, be attentive, right? So be dressed for action Keep your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so they may open the door for him as soon as he comes. And then he says, also astoundingly, blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. So he's, he's taking this image of slaves and master and he's saying, you need to live like slaves who are attentive for the master's arrival at any time so you can open the door. Obviously, so you can serve him. But know that this master, when he shows up, actually serves you. so you've gotta have the kind of attentiveness of a slave waiting for your master to arrive. But when your master arrives, he's gonna have you sit down and he's gonna serve you. Blessed are those slaves. Then he adds, as if that weren't already mysterious enough, that if the owner of the house knows when the thief is coming, he doesn't let the house be broken into, right? So there's a kind of watchfulness that is watching for the thief, right? So he's giving you two metaphors now. So instead of the slave waiting on the master, there's the master watching out for the thief,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: right? So, Two, two metaphors, the slave waiting on the master to arrive, even if it's the middle of the night, then the owner of the house watching out for the bandit. Then he says that the son of man, you must be ready for the son of man is coming at an unexpected hour. So which are we? Are we the slaves waiting on the master? Are we the master waiting on the bandit? And who is Jesus? Is he right. the master or is he the bandit? Mm-hmm. Right. And, of course, the answer is yes to all of that. Right. Like that we, And what's being called for is a kind of attentiveness to the, the work of God in our lives that is easily, easily missed. And I think that this, to me, is the answer to your question. Like, how do we pray? We pray for good things to happen. We pray against the bad things that have happened. But we also have to, if to do that in faith, is to do it with a kind of attention, assuming that God is showing up at an unexpected hour here. Hmm. That in every one of these situations, we're not waiting on something that is going to happen in the sense of it's deferred to some future. It's happening now. It's happening already right here. But we have to be attentive to how is that arriving? How is the Lord showing up here? What what is what is God doing? So it's it's a different kind of attention altogether. Mm-hmm. Like faith is a is a is an alternative awareness. It's a, a sensitivity to the nearness of God, the creativity of God at work in the midst of what seems to be the absence of God, right? It's hearing the word of God in what seems to be the silence, or recognizing the activity of God in what seems to be our suffering, left our being abandoned, our God-forsakenness.
0: It's, I mean, is it, so is it fair to say, is it, it's, it's staying in, in the promised land as if it's a foreign land?
1: Yes, but knowing that it's, it's, it's both, right? So there's a way in which all foreign lands are also lands of promise, And all promised lands are also, we have to live in them with a kind of strangeness. Mm -hmm. So let 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 me come to this example. Let's say someone we really love is very sick and it looks like they might die. And so we're praying for God to deliver them from that. And they live. Of course, we're thankful for that. Like, of course, we rejoice in it. Faith is not simply being glad that things turn out the way I wanted them to turn out. Faith is to to ask where and how is the coming of God at work in this turn in their life. And it's important for them to do it as well. And this is why scripture is filled with stories of people who get a favorable outcome, but then are at, at a new kind of, they enter into a new temptation, right? They, they, they get the story of the man by, I think it's the John 5, the man by the pool. Do you want to get well? Jesus you know raises him up, sends him away. When Jesus sees him again, he's in the temple. And Jesus says, Be, beware or something worse can happen to you. There's a way in which he's he's been freed. Mm-hmm. A good thing has happened, right? He's no longer by that pool but he's been thrust into a life he doesn't know how to live now but he's been by that pool for a generation and as he says to Jesus i have no one so now here he is delivered in a sense but delivered into a foreignness so the promise is fulfilled but it's it's not fully fulfilled and he's delivered into into a strange new world of Okay, now I can walk, but I still don't have anyone. And what what does it look like to live that faithfully? And to be people of faith is to kind of always live in that tension of foreignness and promise. We're, you know, in the language of Hebrews, to live in tents. Mm-hmm. So,
0: I don't know how you're going to do it, but I want to get to this first thread. Then that I mentioned, if you can bring bring
1: this together, this. Well, yeah, I, I, let me let me say. I mean, I, again, these conversations are not for preachers only, and I wouldn't advise you to preach what I'm about to say. I'm not sure. Oh, good. I'm not sure how. This would be gospel. So just, just know, this is more kind of commentary on where we are culturally, okay. and less, you know, advice for a sermon. To me, this the sermon from these texts is confidence in this God, who who does the impossible. Mm-hmm. Cultivating an awareness that that impossible is always already happening in our lives if we just. Attune ourselves to it, like if we'll let God awaken us to what is happening. So to me, the, the the sermon is that, yeah, you know, at least that's that's where I would go with it. But the wisdom of these texts, I think, does speak to the problem of nationalism. Now, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but first, you know, happy are the people whose God is the Lord, or happy is the nation, or happy is the people. God is the Lord? So, in the Psalm, that's a verse I heard many times growing up, always tied to American exceptionalism and support of Israel. So we're a happy, that is a blessed people, mm-hmm. because of our support for Israel, and Israel is the chosen people of God. Right. And another, you know, there, there was a a kind of fault line running through our theology, in that we were pro-Israel. For nationalist reasons, but we were often anti-Jewish. Yes, and read the Old Testament as a kind of lesser faith that we have been delivered from. Mm-hmm. Right. So, in in ways that I think are I think are finally just incoherent and irreconcilable. You know, we were radically Zionist and deeply anti-Semitic.
0: Yeah. So we, right. we that resonates, yeah.
1: We read these old and, and again in ways that were inconsistent. So sometimes we would read the stories of Abraham or Isaac or Jacob or whomever, and we would read them as knights of faith, right? These are men and, and women of great faith. And then we would turn around and tell those same stories at other times in ways in which they were Pharisees, right? By which we meant they were legalists. They mm-hmm. were ritualistic they were consumed with works righteousness rather than faith and of course part of the reason all of that i mean there are lots of layers to the, the comp there lots of complications to this history but part of it is the way the stories themselves are told like stories in in the old testament are perfectly designed to kind of yield multiple different readings so sometimes the the reason we read them differently is that the stories actually yielded different readings and depending on how we came at them they struck us differently the, the, the the metaphor I prefer for this is pitch right so in the language of pitch from sports comes from throwing the ball like in cricket throwing the ball with a particular kind of spin so that it has a pitch to it yeah so that when it hits the ground, it, it can run in any particular, you know, it, it'll catch you off guard. Like yeah. the spin will take it this way or that. And of course, in America, we borrowed the language of cricket for baseball, but we don't actually pitch the baseball in that sense. It's not striking the ground, but there's still spin right on a baseball. These These stories in Israel scriptures have pitch. So they have spin to them. And depending on kind of where they land with you, they can spin off one way or, or another. So that's part of the reason. But another reason we read it incoherently is that, so that's not about incoherence. Like that's about the variance the story allows. But there was a kind of incoherence to our reading that was born out of the conflict between our devotion to Jesus and the faith and our attempts to use Jesus and the faith for something else. So we are kind of always caught. And this is, this is where the conversation about nationalism comes from, right? So when we read, happy are the people whose God is the Lord, or blessed are the people of God, what we were hearing, at least sometimes, and what we were saying, at least sometimes, is that it's important to be a Christian so that America will be blessed. And what we mean by America being blessed is we defeat our enemies and we're prosperous. Mm-hmm. That's what we mean to be blessed is to be victorious and ideally unthreatened and prosperous to live lives that are, you know, to live long and prosper. (laughs) Like like that's now that could, of course, in various settings under various circumstances, that could get a lot of nuance, but often it wasn't nuanced at all, but in the Psalm and we're, I won't take a lot of time with this, but in the psalm, right after that is said, blessed are the people whose God is the Lord, and it identifies Israel as the chosen people, the chosen ones. But then the rest of the psalm is is this kind of affirmation that one, God is God of all peoples, like he fashions the heart of all. So he's the the God of all peoples and the God of each person. So in no way does Israel have a leash on, on God. Right. Mm-hmm. Israel is God's, and God is Israel's, but not Israel's possession, not Israel's tool, not Israel's weapon. Right. So that's the first thing. Then the song insists that Israel's military and the military of any nation is completely useless in terms of saving them. Right. That that no no nation is going to be saved by its might. Yeah. It's the Lord who determines these the risings and fallings of nations. And then finally, this this hope, we are blessed because we fear the Lord and we we trust that he is the one who plucks us from death and feeds us in famine. And there's this kind of acknowledgement built in, right? Of the foreignness and the promise. God will save us by plucking us from death, which means we're already in it. Like we we're in death, and then God saves us from the dead, which of course Christians read as resurrection. And, you know, in the Abraham Sarah story, Sarah is dead, Abraham is dead, God plucks life from that, right? From their from their death. But also that he will feed us in famine, not keep a famine from happening. But feed us in famine. And I mean we could been forever, talking about all of the ways in which we've gotten that exactly backwards, right? We're, we're expecting, or at least what we're wanting is a God who makes it so that there is never a famine, at least for us. If yeah. there's going to be a famine, let it be for those people, not for mm-hmm. us. And a God who keeps us from dying. But that's just not the God of the scriptures, but like the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God revealed in Jesus is the God who saves us from the dead but doesn't keep us from dying. God who feeds us in famine, so that we can care for for others who who are hungry. Matthew twenty five, etc. So I think when when we start to recognize that, we realize that much of our nationalism is an attempt to appropriate half truths about God and twisted versions of promises that aren't actually there that God hasn't actually given. And, well, I can keep going, but I'll let you respond before. I just,
0: I I think I'm struck by, I, I guess I'm just struck by how easy it is to, to appropriate those half truths about god yeah um and how it's i i guess just how it just speaks you know maybe to the depth of how malformed we've been that we can read read these texts and it feels obvious to us Mm
1: -hmm. right who this is well, about and what it means? Yeah, but it don't, it only feels obvious because we're not reading, we're not paying attention, right? So, like in if if we paid attention in the way that we talked about earlier, we would recognize, you know, we have to watch like slaves for a master who's going to show up to serve us as if he's our slave. We have to watch like the owners of the house for a God who comes like a bandit. We have to. Anticipate the coming of a God who tells us not to be afraid, but whose arrival does evoke fear and recognize that we can only be open to this God who teaches us how not to be afraid if we have what Scripture calls the fear of the Lord. Like all of that is what's actually in the text. And if we're not seeing it, it's because we're not living with that kind of awareness that Scripture calls faith. Mm -hmm. So I, I I think it's really important to point out that we're not reading the text and seeing what's there, but not thinking more deeply. We're not reading what's there. <laughs> like like the, the problem is not that there's a deeper hidden meaning that only the super spiritual can discern and that somehow yeah. you and I have cracked that code. Right. The point is the text... Do not say what we're taking them to say at any level of meaning. They do not say that, right? The, for instance, this the sense of Israel's chosenness, like one of the truisms that kind of shows up everywhere in our in our circles is the idea that Jews believe that they were the chosen people of God, and that that they that made themselves righteous, right? But it, it isn't in the text like that just isn't in the text. Like there are aspects of that with some Jews, of course, but every text in which those Jews, quote unquote, show that kind of presumption, it is a text written by Jews to show that that is not faithful to what it means to be the children of Abraham, people of the God of Abraham. In every single case, without exception, yeah. When that kind of when any character in scripture surfaces that kind of um, arrogance about what it means to be chosen, it is immediately exposed as false. Yeah. And that's not a Christian exposing of a Jewish fault. I mean, that's again, look at what happens in the text that are in front, Psalm 33. Israel is the chosen people of God. God is the God of all persons and all peoples. Your military might does not mean what you think it means and This is a God who who plucks us from the dead. And what matters is that we fear the Lord. There's no presumption here about Mm -hmm. what chosenness means. God is the God of all. And in the Genesis story, when when there's a funny line in which Abraham is complaining to God, and he's like, Eliezer of Damascus is going to be my heir. And... (laughs) It's <laughs> poor Eliezer. Like, what did he do? To, like, Abraham has gone away to pray, to complain to God that listen, this slave, he's a great slave, but he's really he's gonna be my heir. And he and he names him as Eliezer of Damascus. Like he's not mine. Yeah. He's not mine. He's he's from somewhere else. And of course, over Israel's history that identification of the man from damascus takes on more and more weight because he's now he's being named as as an outsider as an enemy of Mm -hmm. israel and god says well not so right eliezer is not going to be your heir but it will be a son from your own loins right like your your own issue will be your heir And Abraham believes God and it's counted to him for righteousness. But of course, what the prophets see and then what Jesus brings to fulfillment is that Eliezer and Damascus and all the people of Damascus and all the people of every land are, in fact, inheritors of Abraham's promise. I mean, this is the whole argument of Galatians. Yeah. Right. Not coincidentally, Paul is on his way to Damascus when he encounters Jesus with the realization, or Jesus encounters him, and Paul has this kind of coming aware of how Abraham's promise has actually been fulfilled. So part of what's being said there, Abraham's faith that God counts as righteousness, is to say, yes, I'm going to give you an heir. It is going to be what you're wanting, but it's so much more than you could possibly imagine, and will also include what you do not want. Hmm. Right. So right now you're wanting a son of your own blood. A man of your own seed, not Eliezer, your slave. Yeah. And I'm going to give you that. But ultimately I'm going to give you that in someone who is just as much identified with Eliezer as he is with Isaac and is is, you know, both of them are alive in Christ in the same way. And so it is a, an affirming of Isaac's chosenness. It is an affirming of Abraham's desire, but in a way that Abraham could not have imagined and would not have wanted to imagine at the time. Or at least yeah. it, he didn't yet have the, the heart for it, Right? although he was coming to. Right. That's good. Um, and faith is that kind of openness to it's not in my heart yet but i want it to be i'm open i'm open for it to be at some point and that's what i think it means to to look for the god who is both the master returning home to serve us even though we're the slaves and the the bandit who shows up right who's who's stealing from us the things that need to be stolen and serving us in the way that needs to be served but we can only attend to that if if we're people of faith in, in the way the scripture talks about it. Hmm.
0: Man, I'm glad you came back to, to faith. I mean, I mean, you got back to this. Yeah. Something that I, I feel, I, I think it's, I think that's where I'm going to go. I mean, I think that's what I want to want to talk about. Although as is always the case, what I wish I could do is just play a recording of, of you talking. I think that would be a lot better for, for the congregation than me trying to talk.
1: No. Yeah. Oh my gosh. No, you need the, the, they need the translation for sure to, you know, to, to um, take the rough edges off. And like I said, much of what, what we've discussed over the last few minutes, I wouldn't try to preach because of the, you know, the, the political nuance, I, I, I think, might be lost. But the point about faith, yes, absolutely. And maybe one more note about that, that like faith is simply an, an a kind of openness to the faithfulness of God. <laughs> like, faith is not anything I've achieved. It's just the measure of my faith is identical to my readiness to see the faithfulness of God that's already at work in my life. And that's again for me why the gospel passage about how we attend, how we are how we remain open to the God who's already present, already active, right? Already showing up is so vital. Yeah
0: yeah excellent well thanks man always a joy
1: Yep. thank you man and hopefully like i said this recording will will hold if it doesn't well we'll figure something else out we'll hope for the best have a good night all right thanks man see you